It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 215 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, October 26th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley uh, of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. And the show is on Twitter as well, at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every episode. Go to the Locked On Podcast Network and the Locked On Network of blogs on FanRag Sports uh, with all the coverage you need from the local angle, from uh, 30 experts across the league, uh, sometimes more experts because there's two people to do each show. Um, and those shows are better than this one, I can guarantee you. Um, so, yeah, make sure you're doing that. You can find our show, Locked On Raptors, on iTunes. Please leave a rating or a review there. It really helps us move us up the rankings, helps people discover the show. Uh, and we've also moved platforms. We are now on Panoply, which is exciting and fun. Um, it doesn't really change your listening experience whatsoever, but it's uh, it's interesting and cool, and it's a nice move up for us. And uh, if you want to subscribe, rate, and review, that would be very lovely, so please do that. Um, all right, so on today's show, I'm going to break down the fourth quarter, the, the closing minutes of the game against the Warriors on Thursday night. And to do so, I'm joined by RaptorsHQ.com uh, editor, sort of like co-boss at this point, John Bodis. How you doing, man? I'm good. They haven't updated the masthead, but uh, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I, refer to myself, I refer to myself now as a senior editor. Well, yeah. Uh, I like that you can just kind of assign yourself a title with with, uh, with SB Nation sites. It's not bad. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. You should be on the, uh, on the Twitter bio for sure as to who is firing off the tweets because... You I am now, yeah, actually. Exactly. So uh, we got to put you on there. Maybe I'll just do that and pull rank over Reynolds anyway and stick you in there. No, no, I, I am. Oh, you are? Oh, perfect. Okay. Never mind that. Re- Reynolds is usually on it with that kind of thing. Uh, he didn't put me in there until, I think, game two of the second round of the playoffs this year, or game <laughs> game three, the first game at home. Uh, so, yeah, he wasn't very on top of that with me. But anyway, uh, John's here. We're going to go through the fourth quarter of the, of the Warriors game, a stretch of play that generated a whole wide, vast range of angry takes on Twitter and uh, some response from more reasonable folks like myself. 
uh, to those takes. So we'll get into that. But first, I want to tell you guys about our sponsor for today. John, I don't know, you're from Winnipeg. I'm sure there's lots of ticket scalpers trying to sell tickets to like Blue Bombers games and Gold Eyes games. Uh, do you have a bad experience with ticket scalpers? Man, we have a professional franchise. Like, we have the Jets. Yeah, they're, they're sort of a thing. I don't know. But the ticket scalpers, I'm sure, for them are, like, trying to, like, mark you up ins- insanely for those tickets, I bet. Well, we did have Roger Waters here, and there was a lot of tickets for that. So, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, you don't have to worry about scalpers anymore with SeatGeek because buying tickets online for sports and concerts and in person because scalpers are dirty vagrants. It's been a confusing and difficult process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for the game or show that you want to go to. And none of those other ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and they've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone and I used it literally yesterday. Uh, Well, I bought the tickets last week, but I went to Fall Out Boy yesterday. And boy, let me tell you, that was very bad. Um, but I bought my tickets on SeatGeek for like very cheap and it was worth the experience to just go and see what Fall Out Boy looks like in 2017. Everything on SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money and they want to help you get the most bang for your buck too. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. I should have waited to buy my tickets on SeatGeek for Fall Out Boy because yesterday tickets were like ten bucks, uh, and uh, I, I should have waited it out until the uh, the hordes of teens bought all their tickets and there was none left. Um, but anyway, I got it, I still got it for cheap anyway, so it was fine. Best of all, my listeners get a twenty dollar rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do to download, or all you got to do get to get the rebate is download the SeatGeek app on whatever app store you use. It's free. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code LONBA. That's LONBA as in locked on NBA, all one word. And SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you made your first ticket purchase. Download SeatGeek app and enter promo code LORAPTORS today. Sorry, LONBA, not LORAPTORS. I'm an idiot. Uh, do that. LONBA. Download it today. Get the promo code. Save 20 bucks. All right. Uh, John, thanks for bearing with me there. I had a heavy, heavy dinner and uh, I'm having trouble speaking and keeping my breath, so this will be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, I had a heavy birthday dinner, so um, let's see here. We're going to talk about the fourth quarter against the, the Warriors. That was uh, an experience. The Raptors kept it close, uh, pretty much kind of neck and neck the entire game. Pascal Siakam scored 20 points somehow. Um, no Bebe, no uh, Jonas Valanciunas, but it doesn't matter because Pascal Siakam came in, played really well. Uh, Kyle Lowry, if he's shooting night, I felt like he kind of got it back a little bit late in the game. I don't know. Maybe that's just me trying to project him being better than what he's been. Uh, but I thought he wasn't like terrible in the fourth quarter. And yeah, it was uh, it was a fun game all around. It was an enjoyable, entertaining game, a game that forced me to stay up till 1 a.m. because Eastern time sucks. Uh, John, I don't know. I guess the thing that was like the issue with this game is how it ended. And we were just going to kind of break down crunch time, I suppose. Um, did you agree with the wide sort of take that the Raptors, they've abandoned their offense and they've reverted to caveman ball. I think I saw someone refer to it as that. Uh, and they've lost all of their identity that they've been trying to establish through, through four games or whatever. Uh, and everything's gone back to shit and they, they've reverted to old habits. Are you buying that sort of line of thinking? Or are you disappointed with how the Raptors ended that game? I guess I have a lot of thoughts on how they ended the game. Uh, just for context's sake, I mean, they had, uh, I think the last four possessions were uh, isolation plays. One was for Lowry and three for DeRozan, and they came up empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, in 
in the same time span as a 10-0 Warriors run where they fully warriors and Kevin Durant hit two threes similar to the ones that he hit in the finals and Steph Curry hit one and uh, they just went fully berserk. So, uh, I mean, on one end you had like, you know, the worst of the Raptors and on the other end you had the best of what the NBA has to offer. So I think that makes people a little bit emotional to begin with mm-hmm. uh, and frustrated when the offense reverts like that. Um, but I, I think there is nuance uh, to the argument. And I'll just preface this by saying that Golden State is not the hill to die on because I know we're going to talk about screens and talk about um, the switching ability of the Warriors and whether a screen would have been a good idea anyway on those Lowry and DeRozan isolation plays. Uh, But I tend to land on the side of wanting to see at least a little bit of action on those plays and put guys in a position where we know that they're the best defensive team in the league and they have uh, four all-stars out there and they're all sensational at switching. So again, this isn't necessarily the hill I want to die on, but I think it's something that has to change down the road. And uh, against different teams, you'd like to see a little bit of action in those plays, uh, whether it's a screen or whether it's a movement, whether it's Lowry and DeRozan playing off of each other. Um, just dribbling and waiting for eight seconds on the shot clock and then getting into a motion um, doesn't do it for me. That's fair. Uh, all fair points. And there were a couple of possessions for sure, which we'll talk about, that were not the best for sure. But I think overall, the I, I think the it's being overstated how like far away the Raptors deviated from what they've been doing so far. First of all, the entire game, they were moving the ball incredibly well. They had 30 assists. That was, I think, better than they had in any game last season. Um, like They kept to that for like 95% of this game, so keep that in mind. Uh, the Warriors are an incredible defensive team, as you alluded to, and their length and their switchability makes it really hard to uh, force mismatches with them and to you know do what the Raptors do so well, which is you know run one-two screens and have Demar and Kyle when they do get ISOs, you know run at guys who they're bigger than who, could, who they can blow who they can blow by. It's uh, but the Warriors don't let you do that. The Warriors are really difficult to play offense against, and they force you into things that you don't want to do. Um, we've seen it in the past that sometimes ISO is just the best way to do it. Like LeBron in the finals, and that whole Cavs team really like the, they. Yes, they had some motion in their offense as well, but like sometimes the best way to go against the Warriors is just to like give it to your dudes and hope they can do something because they're your best players, and it's like it's probably smart to trust them. Um, so I went through all the different uh, plays that took place on the Raptors' offensive side over the course of the last like four and a half minutes, uh, going from where it was 105-104 for the Warriors after a free throw. Um, and I just kind of want to roll through these because like there are very few of these that I think were like actively bad possessions. There was one, uh, the first one, Jakob Pertl scored in a pick and roll uh, pass from like, Kyle Lowry, but like it took a really great play from Pertl and kind of a risky pass from Lowry to do it because the Warriors came super close to blowing it up, but they got the bucket. 106 105 the next one was DeRozan's dunk and that was an awesome DeLon pass from the baseline which is like my new favorite thing um that was great next play you know there's been some talk about like there were no dribbles by any of the big men on the last six possessions uh the last possession where a big man dribbled Serge Ibaka egregiously traveled uh <laughs> there was really no reason for him to and there was a and turnover we could talk about Ibaka too I yeah. think when finished here yeah sorry this is going to be like a long sort of rundown but I'll keep going uh, the next one, Demar made it one ten one hundred five. He got Curry on a on a mismatch in an ISO situation, and he scored over him. That's what you want Demar Derozan to do. He's one of the best ISO scorers in the league. Uh, as is Kyle Lowry, by the way. Uh, next up, Demar went ISO on Draymond Green, got fouled, picked up two shots, made it one twelve one hundred seven. Also, a thing Demar Derozan does pretty well when he goes into ISO. 
Then it kind of goes downhill a little bit, but it wasn't so bad. At 140, uh, DeLon sets a screen for DeMar. Uh, DeMar gets to the rim pretty easily. He dumps it off to Yak Pirtle, and it was just kind of like a bad luck miss where Yak kind of just rushed it a little bit, and then that was followed up by the Steph Curry ridiculous finish at the other end uh, to make it 112-109. And the next play, Lowry drives on Clay Thompson, gets some space for that little 10-footer turnaround thing that he literally always hits. It missed this time, and then KD goes down and hits that three to tie it up, so that wasn't great. The next one is probably the worst possession, where the Raptors didn't really take any time off the clock. DeMar just kind of jab-stepped into Iguodala, missed the 19-footer. That wasn't great. And then the the last real possession was uh, Pirtle sets the high screen for Lowry. This is late in the game. I think they're trying to go for the quick score, and Lowry goes right to the basket, and Clay Thompson makes an incredible block after covering Pirtle on the pick-and-roll. Gets back over to recover and blocks Lowry at the rim. And, like, that was a good shot for Lowry. He gets to the rim. He has this clear lane there. Clay just comes out of nowhere. Maybe there's a foul there. I'm not sure. But, like, there weren't any outside of that DeMar one against Iguodala. I don't think any of the plays the Raptors ran were all that egregious or, like, just blatantly awful offense. I think they were simplistic, sure. But I think they were effective, you know, plays where most of the time you're getting a shot where the Raptors usually succeed in that situation, shots that they hit all the time. So I don't know if you agree with my sort of assessment of this, but I just kind of think the, it's being overstated how far away they deviated from what they normally do. Yeah, I mean, I was frustrated in the moment, I think, in the succession of Lowry missing the shot that he always makes, followed by Ibaka not getting up on Durant on the shot that he literally always takes in that situation, which is a pull-up three. Yeah. Um, and that was just frustrating for me. And I think, again having a day to kind of decompress uh, on the whole situation, I think that it's just a it's a going forward thing for me. Yeah. Um, against the Warriors, I think you're right. I think those are the shots that you have to take. And uh, getting into, you know, who are they going to pass to even in those situations because nobody's making a shot, especially not, in the, not the lineup that they have out there. Um, nobody's making a three really, period, except for C.J. Miles, and even he isn't shooting that well in a lot of these games mm-hmm. uh, volume-wise. So... Um, yeah, I think it's just what they had to do in those moments, and it was frustrating to watch at the time. But you know, going forward, I would like that to uh, I would like them to be able to know when to take advantage of teams. And for the most part, I think they do that against when they see a matchup they can exploit or a switch or a pick. They tend to do it over the last year and a half. And mm. um, just because we didn't see it last night, because the Warriors are outstanding doesn't mean it's going to happen going forward, and that's just uh, kind of my mindset right now. Yeah, and like it's not like they deviated back to their old habits against the Spurs either. Like They were getting a ton of wide-open looks through like motion offense and through running a whole lot of actions and they driving kick stuff. They just missed a ton of shots. Yeah, they like, were missing they shots. so yeah. many shots this uh, road trip so far. Yeah, exactly. So if you're looking at maybe, like I don't know, 25 crunch time possessions, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you're looking at like 25 or 30 crunch time possessions over the last two games in fourth quarters – Maybe like three of the possessions were like egregiously bad and you know unimaginative, and I think that's like totally fine. And especially because like we're four games into this new system, and it was a shortened preseason as well, so there's even less time to adjust. And like I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to expect that immediately all the old habits are going to be gone, the DNA is completely changed, and they just stick with what they've been doing this season. Like it's natural to kind of go back to what you know, especially when you're still very early on in the process of changing over. And guys like Lowry and DeRozan have been doing the same things late in games for the last four years. Like I think it's reasonable to expect that in an extreme situation against a team like the Warriors, they're going to have some issues, kind of just sticking to the to the sort of 
commitment to uh, having this this new style new style of offense and like yeah so I, I don't know I think it's kind of ridiculous to expect that the, everything is just going to be you know let's change everything to be every other offense in the league let's be the Warriors right away and run motion all the time and like let's not act like the Warriors were running like anything elaborate either like that Durant three came in transition Curry just drove by a dude and got that layup like this stuff is ha- like the Warriors do this stuff too where they go ISO they just happen to have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant who are you know three of the five best players on earth this is Jake from Locked On Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history after beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011 Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time but there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered it. I think that it's a going-forward thing for me. These are two really good teams. And, uh, you know, if they shoot even like 32% or 33% from three, they could be 4-0 and at this point, and yeah. that's, uh, that's pretty reassuring. I think that that's my biggest concern, maybe my only concern right now with this team, is that uh, if Kyle Lowry's not going to be at least 80% of the shooter he was last year, the team's going to have some problems. Yeah. Uh, if Norman Powell uh, doesn't have confidence in his shot, they're going to have problems. I think it's those two guys that, uh, you know, are the – the obvious candidates for needing to hit three-point shots with the roster that they have right now. So that's kind of what I'm watching right now. Yeah, and like you talk about the three-point shooting, and like there wasn't a ton of it on the floor late. And I don't know, did you have any issues with the lineup that Casey had out there? I mean, I would have liked to see C.J. Miles, but again, then you yeah. have to play him on defense. So I understand the people's arguments and not having him out there. They, they were riding with the guys who got him there. Yeah. And it, it's not... Uh, it's not a wild concept considering how well the bench has played. I think you got to play those guys down the stretch. They've been phenomenal energy-wise. And every time, you know, three out of the five are from that kind of five-man bench group or more, uh, the team has played just sensationally well. And you saw maybe the best Jakob Pertle game that you've seen uh, in his two years as a Raptor. Pascal Siakam had a, a like, out-of-nowhere quarter in the third <laughs> quarter with a couple threes and you know, I looked at the box score and it was 20 points to start the fourth quarter. And I was like, what happened? Because I was like running out the uh, wearing out the last channel with the World Series. And I think every time I turned it back to baseball, Pascal must have hit another bucket because he had 20 <laughs> points by the time I looked back at it. Um, the young guys are just playing awesome. And we talked about DeLon Wright and even Fred Van Vliet isn't making bad decisions. Oh, gee, is the diamond in the rough. Um yeah, there's just a couple points where there's reason to be worried. And I, the biggest one is, you know, Kyle Lowry's jump shot, but he's been great in every other way. So even there, there's a lot to be positive about. And again, the two teams that they play the last two games are two of the three most likely best teams in the NBA. So it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, God, the Spurs are annoying. Ugh, that game was stupid. But 
Um, that game was stupid. Oh, just just infuriating to watch. Yeah, I think for the lineup thing, yeah, CJ Miles probably would have made sense up there if you wanted to have a little extra spacing and you know having Delon out there. It was nice to have an extra ball handler out there for sure. Uh, you have to have that against the Warriors too, but. Uh, I think maybe I would have switched in Miles just to have that extra three-point threat. But even then, if you know you're going to run that style of offense and you're not looking really, you're trying to rely on Kyle and DeMar to kind of do everything for you, which I think is reasonable in that spot, uh, then maybe you want the defense and ball handling that, that DeLon provides, which is fine too. Um, you know, Surge wasn't very good, but you have to have Surge out there in that situation. And how awesome is it to have Jakob Pertl, a big man who is seven feet tall, who can actually be on the floor against the Warriors? Yeah, no, he played. I, I, again, I say it. I think it was his best game as a Raptor. Uh, yeah. He was literally all over the floor. He, he's in the right spot all the time on offense, and yeah. he's got a couple guys now who he has great chemistry with for finding that spot. And Are you there? G has shown yeah. that he can make those passes, and Delon obviously is making those passes really well, and they've obviously had chemistry for a year and a bit now, but. Uh, yeah, it's great to see that like chemistry building so quickly. Obviously, it's a testament to how much time they spent together in the offseason, that whole bench unit. Mm. Uh, and the Raptors have to feel really good about how fast their young guys are developing. Pirtle is just so absurdly smart and just always seems to be in the perfect place to get a dump off or get like a high-low pass. Uh, I'm big on Pirtle, man. I don't know if he's going to end up like starting by the end of the season, but... I wouldn't hate it. Um, as much as I think the Raptors have kind of missed Jonas the last couple of games, especially against the Spurs, I'm not sure yeah. how much he would have played against the Warriors. But um, it's really nice to have that kind of depth, man. And the fact that Pirtle is such a different look from what JV brings too. He's a lot more finesse. He's, I mean, they're both really good on the offensive glass, which is kind of a nice little zig against the rest of the league zag and a little thing you can kind of take advantage of unless you're playing the Spurs. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. Pirtle was so good last night, man. He's just so smart. Him and OG, the connection they have is weird, but also awesome. Um, yeah, how concerned are you about Lowry? Really? Like, are you like if if like ten is the most concerned? <laughs> where are you at in terms of like your fretting level over Kyle's early play? The, like the first half last night was around an eight, but uh, <laughs> he had an awesome third quarter. I think just doing all the like Kyle Lowry stuff, yeah. uh, getting in guys' faces, and you know just being a general pest, being a bowling ball, all that stuff that we repeat um, infinitely. Uh, so I guess I went down to about a six after that. But I, I am really worried about his jump shot because this team lacks so much shooting. Uh, CJ Miles is really their only trustworthy three point shooter right now, and. Pascal Siakam, I guess, because (laughs) the form looks awesome for that guy. So if he gets more minutes, I mean, maybe he becomes a shooter too. But I think they still rely so much on, you know, the Kyle Lowry surprise three in transition, uh, being able to kick it out and have him make a three from two steps beyond the arc. It's just those found money buckets that really help them in the long run. So I would like for that to come back a little bit. The shot just looks like it's... uh, He's not getting enough legs under it. It looks just a little bit erratic. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely doesn't look like something that's the result of an injury or something where he's just kind of throwing it awkwardly. I think the form looks good. It's just that he's rushing it a lot. Uh, the legs aren't there. Uh, so I'm not – injury-wise, I'm not concerned. I think he'll get around to it eventually. Yeah, I think so too. And He was pretty – I've mentioned this this week as well. Like He was pretty ass at the start of last year too from three. And then as DeRozan cooled down from his insane heater – 
Lowry picked it up and was like 45% for two months. So Yeah, and know. like conditioning-wise, it's hard to start the season and then go on the road, and now they're going into altitude. And yeah. it's not a played-out thing, I don't think. I think that's really difficult for a team and uh, a guy beyond 30 to kind of get into game shape when this is kind of the schedule that they have. I also kind of think it's weird to have two games against just two dog shit teams that come out and like you play like 25 or 30 minutes like it's got to be hard to find a groove there too um, yeah this is all sort of nebulous stuff you can't really quantify but i don't know it seems and like that's, why, be that's why they played 30 minutes against the bulls and why they played the last four minutes because yeah, yeah. You know, they had to be out there to get some run yeah absolutely um so yeah i think we're kind of in the camp of it's not that bad and people who are saying that the Raptors are back to their old ways. They're probably jumping the gun a little bit. Um, maybe look at the wider picture of the four games they played so far this season, and it's not yeah. quite that bad. Um, no, and I think if they come out of this trip three and three, it's a huge success. Yeah, for sure. And someone tweeted at me. Uh, I want to give them a shout out, but like the way they put it is pretty much the exact way to describe it. Uh, where the hell is it? Who said this? Uh, this is. Uh, Raptors haikus. He said, "Warriors did good stuff." Is a much better summary of crunch time than Raptors did bad Raptors stuff. Like, that's yeah, yeah. The Warriors are fucking they, good. They turned into the Warriors. I yeah. mean, it, it, it. You know, you'd like a bucket to get up a little bit, but what are you gonna do? Like, he's not gonna block the shot. Yeah. This is just like the insane talent that Kevin Durant has, and that's the kind of backbreaking shot that can um, swing a game. Yeah, and they were missing those shots the entire fourth quarter, and I just like. When it was 112-107, I'm just like, yeah, they're going to start hitting these at some point, and it's not going to go well. <laughs> yeah, I, it's like Aaron Rodgers getting the ball with a minute and 11 left on the clock. It's just like I was watching the clock more than I was actually watching the game, and yep. saw 143, and I was like, shit, this isn't going to happen, is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, glad we could talk this one out and uh, get our feelings out there. I feel like we're kind of on the same page, at least, and... Yeah, rewatching it, it like I thought it was like not great in the in the moment. I wasn't all that offended by it, but like rewatching it, I don't think it was nearly as bad as I as my sort of my first impression in terms of what the late game offense was. Like they were getting shots that are good, and the Warriors are very good at defense. So it is what it is. Raptors will take on the Lakers uh, Friday. I'm going to be chatting with Anthony Irwin from Locked On Lakers. Uh, we're going to dive into Lonzo Ball and uh, whatever the hell else is going on with that team. They're not very good, but we'll talk about them. And it'll be fun. Um, John, do you have anything that you need to plug or anything like that? Yeah, we've got, uh, or I've got, I should say, a column starting next week about uh, the young guys. I'm power ranking them every Friday. So uh, the first one should be a little bit of fun because it's been a really good week for them. Uh, so that goes up at Raptors HQ. Uh, I'm doing the recap in tandem with Daniel tomorrow night. We're trying out something new. Okay. So uh, if you're awake after the Lakers game, you can check that out or just read it Saturday morning like I know most people probably do. Um, overtime shows next week, I think. Uh, lots of stuff. Go to Raptors HQ. Yes. Uh, John is doing the Lord's work this year. It's uh, stepping up for the, the void that I'm leaving by becoming more lazy and uh, – yeah, it's uh, you're doing good stuff, man. So thanks for coming on, and we'll have you on again and listen to you on Raptors HQ's HQ Overtime, and you'll be on the headquarters soon, I'm sure, as well. So uh, thanks, John. This was fun. Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.